From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for a Saturday morning, May 14th, the year 2022. Danny Flecker joins us this morning. Good morning, Danny. Good morning. Um, you know, it was an interesting night uh, last night in the NBA where you get the Warriors doing Warriors things. Um, specifically Clay Thompson going off and they move on to the Western Conference Finals. And meanwhile, you guys are going to get a Game 7 there in Boston um, over the weekend because Jason Tatum decided 47 points later, I ain't stopping this thing. So um, where's your head at here in terms of the Celtics team after a really impressive 108-95 victory last night. Yeah, I mean, I came away from that game thinking can't let game five dwell on them for too long because that was going to be really how how the game was going to be dictated. And you saw early, they came out in that game and they were confident in what they had from a gameplay perspective. They were shooting their threes and thankfully they were hitting. I think they started off like five of seven for a three-point line. Um, and they made a very conscious effort yesterday to say, you know what, Giannis, you're going you're gonna to take your drives, you're going to make your shots, whatever it is, you can do whatever it is you want to do. We're not going to let anyone else beat you. And you saw that play out throughout the course of the game. Yeah, Milwaukee had a terrible shooting night, but I would rather, as a coach and as a fan, like let somebody else in Milwaukee try to beat me other than Giannis. And you saw that, again, play out throughout the course of the game. Uh, they scored, what, 80, what, 90 points, whatever it was. Giannis had half of them. Uh, no one else really did anything besides Drew Holiday. You know, Pat Connington tried to, you know, spark them in the fourth quarter there, but, you know, it wasn't enough for them. And I think that the same type of game plan that Boston has to take at the game, game seven, is, you know, Giannis is going to get his drives. They're not calling offensive fouls on him rarely, even though I might be biased. I think he, he pretty much fouls in every single drive he has or travels. They made some calls last night, but um, they're not going to do that every single time he goes to the hoop. And if you're Boston, you got to you got to be encouraged by the performance you saw from Tatum. It's smart. Uh, it does need to be a little more balanced, I think, just because at times when when you have a streaky score like Tatum, your offense can get a little stagnant. But they rebounded yesterday really well uh, compared to what they did in Game Five. They played tough defense. They went through the hole when, when it was appropriate, uh, and they were able to make their outside shots and pass the ball well. They got to clean it up a little bit, I think, on the turnovers. It's still a little messy there. Not going to get any easier moving forward, especially if they move on. So, you know, they had a well-rounded performance yesterday. And I do think, you know, despite Milwaukee being defending champions, you know, without Middleton, they're a limited team. If Boston can play the way they did yesterday, uh, again, tomorrow, just, you know, really good defense solid on the board, limit their turnovers, they should come out of Game 7 and head to the Eastern Conference Finals. They really are missing Chris Middleton. And to your point about Giannis, they still ended up with Giannis in foul trouble. And that's even with 
you know, a bunch of those, and I'm with you, that sure look like offensive fouls for me, but the dude is a truck, and sometimes it can be tough to figure out what was the truck and, and what was actually an offensive foul. But they did get him in foul trouble. And I'm normally not a fan of early game um, uh, challenges, but I thought that was actually a, a smart challenge by the Celtics to try to get him that third foul really early on. Um, but just an impressive all-around performance. Now they ended up in a game seven where, at least for me watching it, they're going to need to be aggressive. They are going to need to come out guns blazing at home and get this crowd into it because you know what the Bucks are going to try to do, which is going to try to silence this uh, TD uh, guarding crowd. And you're going to need to come out with all the motivation and, and energy you have and just quiet it and try and s- silence these people. Not quiet. Yeah, I mean, Try and you silence. Back, you go back to game four, after the fourth quarter, when the when the Celtics were on their run. They've been the better team. They had a bad fourth quarter in game five. But overall, uh, over the course of this series, I, I do think the Celtics have been the better team. Yep. They have they have issues in the third quarter almost in every single game. They've allowed the Bucks to, to trim leads or extend leads that they had to come back from. We saw that earlier in the series. You know, pretty much every third quarter, you know, that was a close game. Uh, the Bucks were able to extend their lead. That's why game three and game four, the, the Celtics had to have, you know, really good comebacks in the fourth quarter to make those games tight. We saw in game five that, you know, Milwaukee tried to chip away at the lead, and they did, and eventually, you know, won the game. But yesterday was the first time I thought in the entire series, besides game two, which was a runaway from the start, that the Celtics played from, you know, tip-off to, to the final buzzer, a complete game. And they need that moving forward. You know, it would be nice if Robert Williams could play. I do think that limits their rotation. <laughs> we saw Grant Williams get some foul trouble yesterday. Um, you know, how much of a piece is he going to be moving forward? You know, it's really dependent, I think, on who they're playing. But if they get those types of performances, guys even too like Derek White you know he's had a great series that no one's talking about he's been solid on defense he gets them you know he's been getting them 12 to 14 points a game just really a steady uh, force for them out there if they get those types of performances tomorrow they should be okay you know I just think Milwaukee's limited no one else can create a shot on that team maybe besides Chris Middleton and if I'm Boston, I'm comfortable with guys like Wesley Matthews and Portis and Grayson Allen, like, taking open shots. Yeah, they're going to give Giannis threes every single time because Giannis has not proved that he can consistently hit threes, and, and it's true for a whole bunch of those guys. Also, if you can get Bobby Portis in, in, in foul trouble, that would, that, that would also be help, helpful if you are a Celtics fan. Um is he is a pesky, pesky dude, and the more you keep him off the uh, court is uh, a huge help if you are a fan of uh, Mr. Portis, or the or sorry, if you're a fan of the Celtics. Um, I want to switch gears here away from the NBA um, and talk for a second about um, a, a completely different sport. Um, which is football. So let's look at this for a second. What does your Thanksgiving usually consist of, Danny? 
usually get up. Um, if I'm feeling ambitious, I'll go for a ride knowing I'm going to eat and drink all day. And then from there, just sit on my butt, watch football, and eat pretty much the rest of the day. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, and the reason why I asked this is that the schedule came out this week in the NFL, and lo and behold, your Giants are a part of Thanksgiving. How does this change Thanksgiving? Um, it definitely will probably make it less enjoyable, um, <laughs> that's for sure, knowing that they're probably going to lose that game. I'm saying that here in May, you never know what's going to happen. Um, I was surprised to see them on Thanksgiving against the Cowboys. That's usually a game the NFL avoids to put on that on that spot. Um, they didn't, they didn't um, do them any favors by giving the Cowboys on a Monday night, too. So, you know, they definitely were going after trying to switch things up a bit this year. I think that's the one thing about the schedule release that caught my eye is that I feel like it's a, a definite deviation away from what we traditionally have seen, and I think a lot of it has to do with the movement in the booth. The ESPN has traditionally, lately at least, has gotten a lot of really terrible games on Monday nights. Yep. Not, not so much this year. You know, they, they probably lobbied really, really hard with the NFL, saying, like, listen, we spent all this money on Troy Aikman. And Joe Buck. We need primetime games with primetime teams and big-time players, and they got it. Um, just Sunday night football probably gets a little diluted because of that. You know, with two, uh, two slots trying to compete for probably the same types of games. Um, but that, that's, I think, the one thing I noticed was that, you know, there's a, a clear line that's been drawn with, you know, these are the teams we want to have with these types of announcers. These are the types of games we envision being, you know, big-time games, and these are the, the channels we want to give them to. So that's something I saw, um, you know, definitely happen with the schedule release. You know, there are definitely some quirks in it. Like, I don't understand why there's a doubleheader in week two on Monday night at the same time, basically, like 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock. That makes no sense to me. Um some of the Thursday night games are also weird. You know, traditionally we've seen Dallas play Thanksgiving and then the Thursday following. That's not happening this year. They, they, they switched that up a bit. But other than that, my biggest takeaway was that they were willing to give Monday night football bigger, bigger games, at least as we sit here in May. Yeah. Um, and what is really interesting, to me at least... Um, coming off of that is I, I, I do think it was making every rights holder happy. I also think that part of what you're seeing is the NFL being way more flexible in terms of uh, how certain things can go, um, you know, and, and the platforms that great games can air on. To your point about the Giants and Dallas, remember what Fox has that day uh, uh, for Thanksgiving, that is, which is World Cup games bracketed, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, by Ronaldo and Messi. So they're really trying to create a slate of programming on Thanksgiving that will trap you as a viewer 
or maybe it's Ronaldo and and England. No, because England plays the uh, plays the U.S. the next day. The bottom line is it's very attractive World Cup games, bracketed by a high quality Dallas Thanksgiving football game, to which they needed a high quality opponent for Dallas to trap the viewers. And I think that's part of the backstory there about what Fox was trying to do in terms of of where to move that game around. Um, yeah, and I think the one thing you you are you're missing there is high quality. You're expecting the Giants to be a high quality team <laughs> in November, and that's not something we've seen for the last I don't know eight years. So I mean, I was joking around with with my wife about that game, and she's like, "Do you think it's going to mean anything?" I go, if we're, "If we're basing it off the last couple of years, you know, come November, the Giants are going to be out of it already." But you never, again, I'm sitting here in May and saying that you never know what's going to happen with injuries and everything else like that. But, you know, the, the NFL is definitely, you know, if that's the, the mindset they're taking, they're definitely, you know, making a high-risk gamble that the, the Giants are going to be uh, a quality opponent come the end of November. Um, on Christmas, there's a triple header. A, how do you feel about a triple header on Christmas? Listen, I get the narrative that, oh, it's the NBA's day and, and everything like that, but, but I'll be honest with you. A, a basketball game in November, I mean December, means literally nothing, you know, and I think that's, that's true of, of what we're seeing happen in the playoffs right now. I'm not a big NBA watcher. I'll watch it when it's on, if there's nothing else on. The games are two completely, uh, two different sets of games, you know, come to playoffs and, and the regular season, and I get that. But if I have to sit down and choose between basketball in December, which is what, probably like their 15th or 20th game of the year, or possible playoff implications in the NFL, uh, I'm going to sit down and watch the NFL. And that's just the way it is. Uh, until February, the NFL is king. They're definitely flexing their muscle here. It's a once every couple of year type of scenario. It's not like they're going to, you know, flex out Christmas Christmas Day games every single year moving forward. It's just not going to happen. Um, you know, we'll see a Monday night game probably next year based off the calendar. It's just the way the calendar falls. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to sit down and watch every single second of every single game I can, you know, on Christmas. Um. Now, when you sit down to watch, uh, you're going to have an option with Broncos Rams to watch the Nickelodeon uh, slime-filled version. Um, you have a young niece. Is there any chance that you're going to be watching the slime-filled version for her? I mean, the way she's trending, unless like Elmo pops up on the screen, I, I don't know if she's going to sit down and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll see what I can do to get the Nickelodeon folks to put um, some Elmo on there for you. Um, if not, you'll 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 be with Mr. Nance, Mr. Romo, and uh, Tracy Wolfson. Um, speaking of announcers, Tom Brady, ten years, three hundred seventy-five million dollars from Fox, going to him to be paired with Kevin Burkhart once he retires from the NFL. A, what year will this deal actually kick in? And B, what was your reaction when you heard this? I mean, 
I, I would think Brady got got one more year. He hasn't signed a contract extension. I don't know if he's gonna make any sense to like you know move up, move to a different team next year. The landscape, at least this year, doesn't really set him up for anything next year. I don't think. Um, so I, I mean, I'm saying next year we'll see him in the booth, but who knows with him? And my reaction is pretty simple, and I've told you this. I don't really care who's calling the game. I'm going to sit down and watch them regardless. It's just the way it is. I mean, there's only one premier team that calls games on every single channel. And usually, you know, like for me and for you, when we're watching the Jets and the Giants, we're usually getting either like the B, C, or D team on those games. Yes. And you know what? We still watch them. Um, do we complain about maybe the announcers every so every now and then? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's going to happen even with the, the top teams um, that, that call games. But at the end of the day, it's the product I'm watching, not the announcers that I'm watching. You know, Fox has definitely found themselves in a situation where they were they got plucked of two of their top premier talents um, and weren't aggressive enough maybe with contract negotiation. Maybe they tried to get Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Sean Payton, whatever it was, and it didn't work out. And they figured, you know, we have to make a move. We have to get a top guy here now to compete with ESPN um, and, and CBS, even though in a weird way they don't really directly compete with each other um, because, you know, if there's a, a primetime game on ESPN, there's no other game on Fox at that time, and if Fox has the, the premier game of the week, CBS isn't really having Romo and Nance on that game, so it's a weird situation, I think, but, you know, I was surprised that Brady was the guy, and I'm surprised it's that type of money. I am with you. Um, I, I did not see him or that money coming, um, just because it doesn't seem like... Um, money that uh, not that he would take a pay cut but it, it just seems like that would not be necessary but then again um, as we've learned uh, sometimes these things don't make sense and money talks and he was able to completely obliterate the market um, almost doubling or actually actually over doubling the uh, money that um Tony Romo got, which had set the market at $18 million. So, wild times in sports broadcasting. Um, let's, let's move over to baseball for a second. Um, this Yankee team is having fun. They're pitching well. They're hitting. They're coming back in games. How did Aaron Judge never have a walk-off win until like three days ago? Um, that stat shocked me. But this is a Yankee team that's clutch hitting. But as you just said, in, in regards to football, it matters not now, it matters in October. Um, so when you sit down and, and look at this Yankee team, or is, is there anything in May that is indicative of anything later this year that you're looking at? Yeah, I think the one thing that is encouraging is just the depth at which they're able to pitch from. Um, everyone was questioning their starting rotation coming into the year. 
Garrett Cole had a miserable couple of weeks to start off the year. And people were wondering, you know, is his rotation going to be enough to compete, not only in the AL East, but on the grand scheme of things. And I think if you're a Yankee fan and you're in the Yankee front office, you got to be very pleased with what you're getting from everybody in that pitching rotation, as well as the bullpen. You know, Nestor Cortez has got like a 2, 2.0 ERA, maybe even lower than that. He's almost automatic for them right now. I don't want to jinx him, but he's been pitching lights out. Tyone has been great for them as well. You've seen Montgomery and Severino come off injuries and just be solid for them. And the Yankees' plan is clear. Get us five innings, maybe six. Let our bullpen do the heavy lifting on the back end to close out these games, and we'll be good. And that's what we're seeing, um, is that they're able to do that, and they've done a really good job with that. So they just need to keep that going. You know, Hopefully there are no injuries that come up. Hopefully they're able to stay healthy and maintain this level of success. But that's what we're seeing from them, is that this pitching staff is able to keep games tight. They're able to allow the bullpen to go out there and shut down teams. And they're benefiting from, right now at least, beating the teams they're supposed to beat. They're not losing to Baltimore. They didn't lose to the Red Sox when they played them. I mean, it looks like the Red Sox are going to have a down year based off of what, what's happening over there. And, you know, they've distanced themselves right now from Toronto and Tampa Bay. So if they keep that going, maintain, you know, the course, keep getting the, the hitting they're getting, and they seem to be a little bit deeper offensively too now, even though everyone was complaining about, you know, you have ten guys for nine spots, it seems to be working for them. So just keep that going, maintain that, that trajectory, and just pray and pray for health for each of these guys. They should be in a position to, to hopefully be the number one seed in the AL and get that home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Yeah. Danny Flecker with us here on Teeing It Up. I'm curious. You've got the Red Sox struggling. You've got the Celtics now forcing a Game 7, and you have the Bruins in a Game 7 today. Where has, if, if you have listened to Boston Radio... Where's the focus been here over the last couple of weeks? Because a lot has happened involving Boston sports teams. Yeah, I think the environment up here is, you know, you're on, on edge. You have, you know, we'll start with the Red Sox. The Red Sox are just terrible right now. They, they don't know what they're doing uh, from a player development perspective. The, the fans are clamoring that, you know, they signed Trevor Story because they're going to get rid of Bogart's endeavors. They've lowballed them with contract offers, which they have a history of doing. We've seen them do it in the past. And, you know, people are, are saying that they're being run like Tampa Bay when you're in a Boston market, and, and it just doesn't make any sense to them. Then you have the Bruins that, that aren't – this isn't the best Bruins team uh, at, at any point that I've been up here. You know, they, they definitely have, um, you know, holes in their game. But the big story is, you know, is this Patrice Bergeron's last go-around with the Boston Bruins? And, you know, what can they get? from him um, and the team to keep that, that going. So I think that's you know, the big storyline up here, you know, is today potentially his last game as a Boston Bruin and, you know, what will happen with him after 
after that? You know, will he retire? You know, there's some rumblings. Maybe he'll go to Montreal or try to be a GM or, or whatever it is. But you know, is that is that his next step? And then after after that, you have the Celtics, which are probably present the best opportunity for this the city from a sports perspective to getting a title in the next two to three years, and you're starting to see that come through. You know, this is an exciting team. Um, I'm not a big basketball guy, but I love watching the Celtics team play. Tatum is a, it's phenomenal. Jalen Brown is really good. And overall, they're just a really, really fun and exciting team, and they have a window here yeah. uh, to possibly get to the championship within the next couple of years, and maybe it's this year. Um, so, so you have that, and then the Patriots, which I don't know what's going on with them. You know, apparently Joe Judge and Matt Patricia are going to be their offensive coordinators, and, and that's, those are talking points enough, right? That, that can keep a fan base going for a couple of months. So um, it's, a, it's a different situation than, than I'm used to up here. Uh, thankfully, I won't have to deal with it for too much longer, but um, it, it's kind of interesting just to see the rise and fall of these teams that have been so competitive and guys at you know, the pinnacles uh, while I've been here, kind of how they've either fallen off or, or risen again. Danny's moving. We, we won't say where, but it's somewhere within the continuous uh, 48 states of America. So he'll be joining us from another location uh, fairly soon. Um, you know, I, I agree with your move to Idaho. I, I think it's a smart move for you, Danny. You can say it's in the tri-state area. Okay. Back to, uh, back to my roots. Uh, which is roots are in Jersey. So we'll just put that out there. Th- those are known facts. Um, and you led perfectly into how I want to end this, po- this uh, podcast. What is the closing statement on the Jared Stidham chapter with the Patriots? I, I think it was... The- it had to come to an end, right? They needed somebody that was going to be a little bit more reliable behind Mac Jones. You know, Brian Hoyer, I think, is still on the team, but you know, his his role is really just like to be like that coach on the you know, that coach on the bench and just provide stability in that sense. Um, but you know, Sidham kept getting hurt, and they needed somebody that was going to be more reliable. It's not shocking to see that he went to Las Vegas and be reunited with um, McDaniels, but you know, I don't know if you're a Pats fan, you are comfortable with a rookie guy being that backup and potentially being um, you know, somebody that's going to be starting for you if Mac Jones gets hurt. It just puts more emphasis on them really protecting Mac Jones and, and building an offense that allows them to thrive because behind him your options are not great. Danny Flecka, thank you, as always, for joining us on Teeing It Up. We greatly appreciate it. Of course, my man. Enjoy the day.